0: All right, hello everyone, uh, and welcome to New Books in Medieval History, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Evan Zerkaitis, your host, and in today's episode, I will be talking to Dr. Herzovalandis Kiryakou, lecturer in ecclesiastical history at the Theological School at the Church of Cyprus in Cyprus, to talk about his book, Orthodox Cyprus under the Latins, 1191 to 1571, Society, Spirituality, and Identities published in 2018 by Lexington Books. Dr. Kiriakou specializes in late antique Byzantine, medieval and early modern history, and he focuses on the role of Cyprus as a place of ethno-religious encounter, interaction and contention. With that, hello Valandi, and welcome to the show. Hello Evan, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Such a pleasure. And uh, it took us a little bit to get this uh, podcast going, but here we are here. <laughs>
1: yes, yes.
0: <laughs> so, perfect. So, let us um, begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I am a Byzantinist. I um, focus on the history of uh, the Eastern Mediterranean, especially Cyprus, between late antiquity and uh, the early modern period. And I am particularly interested in uh, multi religious societies and how these societies um, become uh, the key of uh, contention but also peaceful coexistence. And um, chronologically, I am uh, particularly interested in uh, the late medieval period. So I studied, I, I I have a degree in history and archaeology from uh, the University of Cyprus, and I later pursued uh, my MA studies at Royal Holloway University of London. Um, and um, I did my... Uh, this book's actually based on my doctoral dissertation uh, at Royal Holloway, which was uh, conducted under the supervision of uh, Dr. Charalambos Dendrinos. Uh, later on, I returned to Cyprus. I um, uh, taught uh, Byzantine history and archaeology at the University of Cyprus, at European University of Cyprus. Um, I recently completed a postdoctoral project at uh, the Bank of Cyprus Cultural Foundation, and I am currently um, I occupy the um, post of lecturer in ecclesiastical history at the Theological School of the Church of Cyprus.
0: Wow, that's per. That's quite the journey, isn't it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I mean, I, 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 I had to do different things and pass from the uh, d- different uh, fields, uh, but they all uh, have something to do with uh, Byzantium and the post-Byzantine world in uh, the Eastern Mediterranean.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Quite, quite a topic, of course. Uh and we'll talk more about. Uh, uh, while the interview progresses but um, I want to ask a question how was the uh, experience turning your dissertation into into a book
1: uh... well it was a long and a laborious project I mean I had I had to rewrite um, my my thesis uh, three or four times uh, before submitting it as, as a, as a, a concise and concrete piece of uh, scholarship to be published. And, of course, I uh, had the expert guidance of Lexington books, and especially my friend and editor, uh, Professor Vladastankovic, Stankovic, uh, who is also Byzantinist at the University of Belgrade. Um, and he, um, um, he's the editor of this um, wonderful series of, of books on Byzantium as a uh, European empire.
0: Um. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm a little familiar with uh, Dr. Slankovic's works uh, That's great Alright, so Before we start um, So the book is about Identity in Medieval Cyprus, right? Um, so what is the state Of the field currently And which field is it? Is it considered under? Is it Byzantine studies Or is it a thing on, on its own? How, how will you identify um, the field of um, Cyprus identity I guess in, in that medieval period
1: well um, uh, that's a very interesting question because uh, uh, people in academia uh, so often ask me uh, are you Byzantinist, are you a medievalist uh, are you a, a scholar of uh, Cypriot studies well the answer is <laughs> I am a Byzantinist I am a ecclesiastical historian but um Byzantium, uh, uh, the, the Byzantine Eastern Mediterranean after the 13th century, as you very well know, uh, becomes also uh, the home of um, Western European um, uh, g- populations. Uh, you have the Crusaders, you have the Venetians, uh, you also have the expansion of um, the, the, the Muslim states. Uh, the Ottomans uh, after the 14th and 15th century. So, uh, everyone is in uh, this story. Uh, you can find everyone. And uh, uh, my book uh, covers uh, the period between the late 12th century and the late 16th century. Uh, so, it's the end of uh, the Middle Byzantine period. Um, the beginning of uh, the late Byzantine period after the fall of Constantinople in 1204, and uh, this continues well after the uh, final uh, conquest of uh, Constantinople by the Ottomans with, uh, of course, the uh, formation, expansion of the Ottoman state and uh, the war with the Venetians in the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, So it touches upon different um, issues and different uh, fields, but uh, my training and my viewpoint is that of a Byzantinist and and, an ecclesiastical historian. Uh, So the the aim of the book was to explore uh, the identities of uh, Orthodox Cypriots. Um, I call them rather anachronistically in the book Greek Cypriots, uh, but they describe themselves as Uh, Romei as uh, uh, Romans, uh, which was the uh, same ethnic name also um, employed by uh, the Byzantines. Uh, So there is this this element of ethnic uh, and religious and political um, uh, connection to uh, the Byzantine Empire. So uh, the main question, uh, and the reason why I wrote this book, was... uh, what extent did they preserve and uh, did they adapt their Romaiki, uh, Romaic identity, their Byzantine identity, uh, as a result of the Latin conquest? Um, did they uh, see themselves uh, as something else, as a new category of uh, ethnic and re- religious category? Um, <laughs> so the state of research, we have uh, three main uh, lines of interpretation. Uh, we have the colonial, British colonial line of interpretation, um, which uh, was developed in the 1940s and 50s, because Cypriot uh, historiography, and this, this is something that we can uh, discuss a bit more later on, uh, is, is highly politicized uh, as a result of the, uh, the modern history of Cyprus. So th- the British tried to present a view of um, Cypriot identity that was, in a way, denationalized. It was neither Greek nor Turkish. It was uh, Cypriot in the the very strict geographical sense, and in that way, uh, they they hoped uh, Mm. that uh, they would make the Cypriots, especially the Greek Cypriots, as uh, loyal colonial subjects. Uh, against the rising tide of uh, the Greek Cypriot unionist movement uh, which was demanding um, enosis union with Greece uh, so uh, you have the anti-colonial struggle the, C- the Greek Cypriot anti-colonial struggle in the 1950s and in 1960 Cyprus becomes uh, a bicommunal Greek and Turkish Cypriot um, independent state So, um, in the 1960s, there is, uh, between the 1960s and 1990s, uh, there is the the creation, the emergence of a Greek Cypriot uh, ethnocentric or nationalist slash nationalist uh, historiography which um, attempts to deconstruct the earlier British colonial uh, line of interpretation. So, you have this bleak picture of, uh, or heroic picture of uh, Orthodox Greeks fighting against the tyranny of uh, the Latins, the Turks, and so forth. Um, uh, but, uh, well, the, the problem with with this approach is that um, it's not confirmed, is simply not confirmed by... Uh, by the evidence, uh, by the, uh, the majority of Latin sources of this period, um, and this is the reason why, um, after the 1990s, uh, after the 1990s, uh, there, there there has been a growing revisionist uh, tendency in Cypriot historiography, uh, which uh, is primarily based on this Latin material, especially uh, paper letters and uh Latin ecclesiastical documents uh, which are more interested in uh, the management and administration of uh, the Latin church in Cyprus and how the Orthodox were incorporated into this um, uh, concept of uh, the universal Roman Church um, well w- when I was as an undergraduate I was interested in uh, the church history of of the Latin period, and I, I was unsatisfied with uh, with uh, with all all, all these um, lines of interpretation. I mean, uh, there, there is this model of um, complete, uh, completely integrated societies, and this model of completely segregated societies. But uh, none of these models was. Um, seemed to me that uh, none of these models uh, were, was reflected in, um, in what the sources had to say. Uh, so I, I chose this subject as uh, my, the subject of my doctoral dissertation and um, I came across new sources which presented a very different um, picture of, uh, of the period. And this led uh, to the writing of this book. This book, in a way, represents uh, a third, uh, a third path, uh, a third kind of interpretation, which is uh, a post-revisionist um, line of interpretation, in the sense that I I, I understand that the very the re- revisionist scholars are right in um, revising the nationalist, ethos- ethnocentric model, but um, uh, I, I also criticise the fact that they return to the arguments of colonial, uh, British colonial historiography, in order to uh, prove that um, the ecclesiastical condition in Cyprus was um, harmonious all the time, with no tension, uh, Arose in that paradise of uh, convivencia um, uh, that simply does not take into uh, account uh, the, the the Byzantine Orthodox uh, perspective. Uh, but this, on the other hand, does not mean that I I agree with uh, nationalist scholars that um, there was a, an, a continuous ongoing struggle. Uh, everyday struggle against um against the latins so the the truth is somewhere in the middle uh, that's where your book comes in yes <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it, it, i in my view it was both uh separate society uh between the thirteenth and six sixteenth century was both an integrated and a segregated society
0: It's quite an interesting way to think and, and view this concept for sure um, but yeah it's it's so fascinating how how what you just mentioned um, how politics like modern politics can can really affect um, maybe how we get to analyze and view history and maybe Cyprus is one of the best examples of that um, in today's scholarship um. Wow, yeah, it's so much to uncover there, but <laughs> you just packed it in together in, in a few minutes so well. Um, so the book, so as you mentioned, is uh, late 12th, I believe, and then all the way up to the 16th?
1: Yes, yes. I- I- 1191 is when uh, Richard the Lionheart comes to Cyprus. Uh... So
0: talk, talk to me a little bit about the historical context bit, uh, quickly between from the 12th to the 16th period. Where, where was Cyprus at that point?
1: Well, uh, S- Cyprus was part of uh, the Byzantine Empire from <laughs> the very beginning. I mean, it, it was part of, uh, uh, of the Roman Empire from 1st century uh, BC. Um, so uh, in uh, the late 12th, 12th century, um, Cyprus is conquered by uh, Richard I of England, Richard the Lionheart, uh, who was traveling to the Holy Land um, as part of the Third Crusade. Uh, Richard sold Cyprus to uh, the Templars, and the Templars uh, later returned Cyprus to Richard, uh, and uh, Richard sold Cyprus again to uh, Guy de Lusignan, who was the uh, crusader king of Jerusalem. Jerusalem uh, had just been conquered by uh, Saladin. So, um, the Lusinean the dynasty, um, which was a Frankish dynasty, they were French from Poitou, um, they were established in Cyprus as the uh, exiled uh, kings of Jerusalem, and they, they founded the, the Lusinean kingdom in uh, 1192, which was uh, <coughs> both the kingdom of Cyprus and uh, the kingdom of Jerusalem. Um, and the Lusignans uh, ruled Cyprus uh, roughly as uh, late as uh, 1474 to 1489, when Venice uh, comes in and um, Cyprus becomes part of uh, the Venetian state of Damar, uh, the Venetian maritime empire. Um, so the, uh, uh, the Venetians... Uh, Rule Cyprus until 1570, 1571, when we have uh, the Ottoman invasion and uh, the Great War of Cyprus, um, which ends with uh, the Ottomans um, conquering Cyprus in 1571. This is the general political context. Uh, so when uh, the Latins come in um, the late 12th century, they don't have... Um, Historically, they don't have an ecclesiastical present, presence on, on, on the island. So they have to create, they have to found their own church. And uh, we have the founding of uh, the Latin Church in Cyprus in 1196. And uh, gradually, uh, the Latin Church in Cyprus gains power and uh, is supported, of course, by uh, the Lusinian kings and uh, the popes. And uh, they gradually uh, this gradually leads to the uh, submission subjugation of um, the uh, the Greek the Orthodox Byzantine uh, Church of Cyprus. Uh, <coughs> so at, at this point, I, I, I should mention that the the Orthodox Church in Cyprus um, was recognized as an independent church as an autocephalous church. Uh, very early in its history. It was founded sometime uh, before the middle of the 1st century AD uh, and uh, in the 5th century it was recognized by uh, the 3rd uh, Ecumenical Council in Ephesus as uh, an autocephalous church, which was uh, it, it means that it was a, a, a very highly esteemed church uh, within the Byzantine world. Um so uh, what the Latins do is that they uh, they abolish four out of fourteen bishoprics and they make uh, the remaining uh, four Orthodox bishops um, to be under the uh, their Latin counterparts. Um, and we we have occasions uh, when uh, the Latins seize the property of Orthodox mon- monasteries. Um, but these are rather rare cases. In 1231, there is this uh, unique case in the whole Latin ruled uh, Eastern Mediterranean of um, the, the unique case of uh, a whole monastic community of Orthodox being executed um, by the Latins. This is the uh, it's well known as uh, the Martyrdom of the thirteen monks of Candara. In 1231, it became an international uh, scandal in ecclesiastical politics of this period. You have uh, papal emissaries traveling to Nicaea to visit uh, the Byzantine emperor in uh, in exile uh, to discuss how they should uh, resolve the crisis between um, the ecumenical Patriarchate and uh, the papacy, which was created by uh, the execution of uh, these monks in Cyprus. And the reason for executing the monks was, uh, it, it, it tells us something about how the Orthodox of Cyprus saw themselves and the Latins. I mean, the <clears throat> um, the visual barrier between uh, Orthodox and Latins in this period was the Eucharist. Uh, and the way the Eucharist was, uh, was prepared, I mean, uh, The common people could not understand uh, high high theology and um, uh, uh, doctrinal issues, but they could understand uh, the nature of the bread, uh, of the Eucharistic bread offered to them. So uh, the Latin Church uses unleavened bread, the Orthodox Church uses leavened bread, but the Latins could tolerate the use of, uh, of uh, leavened bread, as long as the Orthodox accepted the validity of um, the uh, Latin sacrament. Uh, but the problem w- was that um, in the Byzantine tradition, Orthodoxy is closely related to orthopraxy, to correct ritual practice. So if the ritual uh, is not um, performed in a correct way in the Orthodox view, uh, it's not doctrinally correct. So um, when the the monks were asked whether the Latin position is correct, they of course they uh, they answered what was the traditional Orthodox position that uh, this is heretical. But on their own part, the the Latins could not uh, tolerate. Um, what they saw as uh, insult. So uh, the monks were incarcerated, tortured, and finally uh, burned at the stake, which was a a horrible uh, way of uh, dealing uh, with this matter. Um, It created tension, and this tension continued as late as uh, the end of 13th century, Around the middle of the 13th century, we have an attempt to reach a compromise. Um, We have the Bula Cypria, which was a papal uh, bull, um, in a way, uh, sanctioning the reduction of uh, Orthodox bishoprics, but leaving the Orthodox to preserve their right and uh, liturgical traditions under uh, the papal church. So, um, from this moment onwards, the Orthodox are placed under a papal uh, institutional framework, um, but they have the right to um, to preserve their doctrines and, and, and practices. Uh, the 14th sen- The fourteenth century is uh, uh, in the 14th century, we we we, we see gradual uh, revival in, in in the Orthodox Church of Cyprus. I mean, the uh, the, uh, the the losing kings are more keen to offer their protection and uh, and patronage to uh, to the local church, and uh, we also see the Orthodox of Cyprus being. Um, participating in uh, this major theological controversy uh, of uh, the late Byzantine world which was the controversy over the theology of hesychasm um, hesychasm controversy uh, began in uh, the 1330s and continued as late as um, uh, the 1390s uh, it, it was a controversy over the Uh, monastic uh, belief, the Athanite monastic belief, and um, that uh, purified humans can enjoy psychosomatic uh, experiences of union with God. So uh, the monk is is transformed uh, by uh, this uncreated divine light that uh, surrounds Christ and becomes Christ-like himself. So you have separate theologians, orthodox separate theologians uh, coming from a place that is outside the empire uh, but who are willing to participate in this controversy and discuss this issue, supporting either the one or the other side. Um, And this tells us something about uh, how they saw themselves. They saw themselves as uh, Byzantines outside the Byzantine Empire. And they are, they, they are accepted mm-hmm. at, as such uh, by the Imperial Church, the Ecumenical Patriarchate in Constantinople. Uh, so this is what happens uh, in, um, roughly what happens in the 14th century uh, in the 15th century, the 15th century is a, a, a period of uh, major crisis for the Lusignan kingdom. Uh, you have the Genoese uh, conquering the port city of Famagusta, uh, which was the uh, wealthiest city on, uh, on the island. You have the Mamluks invading Cyprus and uh, capturing the Lusignan king and the Battle of Hirogydia, and then uh, plundering the capital, plundering Nicosia. Uh, so uh, everything gradually collapses, but <coughs> the Lusignans are able to uh, restore their power, uh, reconquer Famagusta, and to do so they uh, cultivate uh, a greater degree of interdependence with uh, um, the local communities, the local non non Latin communities, because apart from the Orthodox, we uh, we have various group of Syrians uh, being established in Cyprus. Uh, we, we also have Maronites, Armenians, uh, Copts. Um, so all, all kind of uh, Christian uh, communities living in the Levant are established in Cyprus, and so the Lusignans, um are quite tolerant towards the, these groups, um, but at the same time they demand in exchange loyalty, and they have this loyalty. Um, and uh, this is this is a moment for uh, the Orthodox Church in Cyprus to um, bolster this. Um, uh, tendency of revival um, they um they exploit the vacuum created by uh Latin episcopal absentees. Uh, you have uh, Latin bishops that are they, don't, they do not live in Cyprus but they have the title and are established in uh, in France or in Italy uh, and this creates problems of pastoral guidance for the local Latin community, and this is where uh, this is where the Orthodox uh, come in. Um, they uh, they perform uh, the sacraments, uh, they offer uh, the, the Eucharist, they uh, bless marriages, uh, and so forth. And they are recognized as uh, the valid spiritual authority on the island. Not only by the Orthodox but also by, by the Latins. And this continues also in the 16th century when the Venetians come. Cyprus is, for the Venetians, uh, the most distant, the most prosperous, and the most strategically important colony uh, <coughs> in uh, their state on the Mar, in their maritime empire. Um, for this reason, they uh, are quite tolerant. Towards the Orthodox, they employ um, Orthodox um, uh, um, administrative structures to um, uh, control the Orthodox population. And uh, what is very important is that in the 1560s, just a decade before the Ottoman invasion in Cyprus, um, when the new Latin Archbishop of Cyprus, Philip Homo attempts to impose the principles of the Counter-Reformation, because we have uh, the Reformation and then the Council of Trent uh, in Italy and the attempt of the papacy to uh, fight back against uh, Protestantism. Um, uh, So when the principles of the Counter-Reformation are uh, being um, transferred to Cyprus and there is a reaction On the part of the Orthodox clergy and population, uh, the Venetians support the Orthodox, and uh, they order uh, the Latin Archbishop to leave the island. And this is because they recognize that uh, they will be having a war with the Ottomans soon, so they need the support of uh, the local population. And when the the war with the Ottomans uh, begins, uh, the Orthodox hierarchy supports the Venetians, and in uh, one of the um, most iconic examples of this war, the Siege of Nicosia, uh, you have Orthodox clergy uh, fighting next to uh, the Latin clergy uh, against the Ottomans. And, and this tells us something about uh, the long procedure and the long process of um, uh, cultivating uh, bonds of interaction and unity um, on the island without, nevertheless, um, losing um, one's distinct identity.
0: Wow, yeah. Whew. From all the way, all, all the way from the 12th to the 16th, we're, we're talking about so many changes happening on on the island of Cyprus, as you just uh, detailed uh, explains. And the question that comes to my mind, you you mentioned so many times, and I think this conversation has been based a lot about religion. Before we answer the question of what does a Roman or Greek Cyprus uh, identity look like, um, well, talking about the components of identity, because uh, we have ethnic, social, cultural, but the question that comes to my mind is how important and how big was the religious identity? Because we're talking about uh, you use religious terms in many ways to explain different peoples, like Orthodox and Latins. Um, talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yes, uh, I mean in medieval times, especially in the in, in the Eastern Mediterranean, religion was probably the most important symbolic boundary, I, I also use this, uh, this concept, which is anthropological um, symbolic boundaries define communities, and they are important for uh, um, uh, establishing and forging uh, identities, and uh, creating this sense of uh, shared communal belonging uh, which in quite often uh, proves to be uh, an illusion I mean, not all members of the community share the same sense of symbolic boundaries, but very often the leaders of the community uh, think uh, or hope that uh, people um, follow this rule of uh, symbolic boundaries. Uh, But at the same time, uh, symbolic boundaries are not necessarily uh, divisive uh, because they also frame and facilitate communication between communities. So they create a framework which uh, help uh, different communities uh, establish a bridge of uh, a channel of communication. Uh, For example, by uh, using uh, the same uh, theological language um, that can help them um, find a a modus vivendi um, between them. Uh, so uh, religion was probably the most important factor uh, of uh, identification in um, in Cyprus during this period. Um, Benjamin Arpel, who uh, is a very well-known scholar um, of uh, Venetian Cyprus, um, observes that uh, there is only... Uh, a limited number of uh, Greek Cypriots uh, acquiring noble status in uh, the 16th century. And the reason for this was that um, a prerequisite for uh, becoming a noble was uh, to become uh, a member of the Latin Church be Latinized uh, doctrinally and and, and and ritually. And um, this is important because it, it shows that the majority of the population, even if uh, I- even even groups and people who had the econ- economic power to um, uh, receive noble status, they considered religion important. Um, but at the same time, religion was not always the obstacle for uh, everyday communication, everyday conduct. Uh, We have examples of mixed marriages. Uh, We have to remember that, especially in this period, uh, the Latins and the Orthodox saw themselves as members of the same church. Okay, Uh, they they saw themselves as members of the same church, separated by uh, by a wall. Okay, and uh, this wall be breached. Uh, today, unfortunately, uh, Orthodox and Catholics quite often, at least in, in, in uh, on a popular basis, uh, they see themselves as uh, people belonging in, uh, Christians belonging in two different churches. Uh, but this was not the case in uh, the medieval pe- period. Uh, and, uh, I mean, in, in Cyprus, Latins and Orthodox lived side by side for centuries, and they could understand the uh, the existence of uh, common ground. Um, Same sacraments, uh, same basic uh, doctrinal beliefs, um, use of icons in the liturgy by both Latins and Orthodox, and so forth.
0: And there's a lot of social baggage as well that goes into, into that identity with the passing of the years, I, I, I assume, as well.
1: And Yes, yes I mean, uh, you also have Latins converting to the Byzantine rite, um, learning Greek and being, in a way, Byzantinized or Hellenized, uh, not only religiously but also culturally. Uh, you have members of the same family uh, adhering to different uh, rights. Uh, there is a case of uh, Stefano Lusignano, who was uh, a 16th century Dominican. He was a member of the uh, Lusignan family um, when the Venetians ruled Cyprus. And he, he was a Dominican and a historian, and his brother and sister became Orthodox. Uh, his brother became an Orthodox monk and uh, he took the name Ilarion and uh, his sister became a nun, Orthodox nun, and she was called uh, Isabel, Isabella. Uh, But he was Dominican uh, and he was a supporter, uh, a moderate supporter of the Counter-Reformation. So uh, you can find different views, different perceptions, different uh, even different interests uh, within the same family. Uh, but this uh, also creates a sense of uh, tolerance and, and uh, sometimes a respect and comprehension, mutual comprehend- comprehension. Um, so this is why I I support this view of uh, Cyprus being both an integrated and a segregated society. Uh, and I find that any, any more monolithic understanding of Cyprus as a battleground or uh, uh, golden age uh, paradise of tolerance uh, is um, insufficient.
0: Which is which is the view that used to be the primary view for many of the med- medieval fields for many, many years and I think only recently has been changing. Um, and uh, I think with your study and that brings me into a very nice point now, where you talk about this concept of multi-layered or multiple identities as uh, understanding of the sources and society of medieval Cyprus, right after the Latins, and yeah, there it's it, it gets it gets more more complicated as as you progress. Um, I think that's how I see it.
1: Yes, we, we we tend to see identity or uh, self-perception as something that is concrete, unchanging, uh, monolithic, monolithic. Uh, but uh, there are so many complexities and uh, paradoxes uh, created by uh, an open reading of the sources, which. Uh, makes us understand that identities are many. We have multiple identities which are developed in uh, intersections and hierarchies, and these hierarchies uh, can change, and identities are um, manifested in uh, different contexts, and they depend on particular circumstances, so identities are situational. Uh, for example, when uh, an Orthodox Cypriot who is supposed to be uh, obedient to the papacy um, had to um, express um, his or her I- identity before uh, a Latin bishop or, or the Latin king in Cyprus expressed, u- they usually expressed this um identity of uh, obedience or loyalty, uh, of being members of the universal uh, Roman church, and the and kingdom and so forth. Uh, but at the same time, you have these people uh, arguing that uh, when we are in a strictly uh, orthodox communal uh, context, we uh, curse the Latinists in private and um, uh, we... Uh, believe uh, and follow our own tradition and, uh, and practices. Uh, this is a statement by an Orthodox bishop uh, in the uh, beginning of um, the uh, 15th century. Um, at the same time, when uh, Orthodox meet Orthodox, Romei of Cyprus meet uh, Rome coming from uh, Constantinople, They try to show that uh, we we too are uh, Orthodox, we too are uh, Roman, uh, we too are uh, uh, members of the same uh, genus, how to say, of the same race, of uh, of the same broader community. Um, um, And this is what I mean by um, uh, using the term situational identities.
0: I I personally love that term, and I've done some research on that, and it's it's so fascinating. Uh, Look in the Middle Ages in that light, um, especially places like Cyprus for for, for example that. Um, so again, they're separate from the Roman um, counterparts in in the other parts of the empire, and then with the coming of the Latins, they change again and they become something different. But I assume that, um, and you can answer this. Uh, the Cypriots, the the Kypriot romans still saw themselves as part of that larger roman community right and but even when they were changed did they remain the same or did they start seeing themselves as uh di- different if things changed With their practice?
1: Well, that's a very uh, interesting and at the same time very complex question. Uh, It is, uh, it is. (laughs) I uh, I cannot give a general answer because um, we have to look to different um, uh, cases. Uh, For example, you have um, uh, members, uh, you you have Cypriot uh, Romei like the family of the Apodokathari, who um, they, they, they they become part of the of the elite, uh, of the nobility, <coughs> they are Latinized and uh, gradually they, um, they, they only keep a distant memory of their uh, earlier uh, Romaic uh, Byzantine uh, past. Uh, they, they, they are very well inter- integrated into uh, the Latin and later Venetian uh, Cypriot uh, nobility. Um, uh, you have uh, uh, Leontios Macheras, who is um, 15th century Cypriot chronicler. Uh, he is an uh, official in uh, the Lusignan administration and he sees the Lusignans as the only hope the island has to survive, the only realistic hope the island has to survive. In this uh, critical moment of um, uh, uh, attacks from uh, every direction—Mamluks, Ottomans, Genoese, so forth—but um, at the same time, you see Mahiras being um, very proud for his uh, Byzantine Orthodox identity, and he even complains that. Uh, the the language spoken by the Romaic of uh, Cyprus was uh, barbarized, was um, in, in, in a way uh, alienated from uh, the purely Constantinopolitan uh, um, lang- language of uh, the, the Byzantine period. And you also have... Uh, um, people who um, tend to emphasize more their Cypriot identity uh, at, the, at the time my, my was writing there was this uh, strong emphasis on Kypriotiki, on Cypriot identity uh, as well as other Romei of Cyprus who see themselves primarily as Romei. and uh, they uh, this is why in the early 15th century we have this um, plan to uh, approach uh, the Byzantine Empire, Emperor, uh, Manuel II Paleologos at the time, and uh, the Ecumenical Patriarchate, and to request um, uh, con-celebration with uh, delegation of uh, clerics coming from uh, Constantinople so as to uh, show to everyone that the Cypriots of Cy- uh, that, that the, the Orthodox of Cyprus remain uh, remain Orthodox and in communion with uh, the Imperial Church.
0: Wow, yeah. So the 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 Cypriot community was literally uh, and, and 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 I guess that's what your book kind of underlines. It's just you know how complex it was and. How many layers of everything, from social to religious, linguistic, and whatever the case might might be, a, a very a, a very complex state. At least from what I'm from what from what I'm understanding, a state of identity.
1: I, I guess I guess this is the the, the same uh, thing happens to other regions under Latin domination, I mean, like Crete, the Morea.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
1: Um, yes,
0: Epiros as well, Ipiros. everywhere,
1: but Cyprus is one of the uh, best studied um, regions, uh, this is why uh, the book was so rich in uh, underlining these complexities,
0: and and a lot of great examples throughout the book, I, sh- I, I shall mention, um, man, we're running out of time, and we're having such a great conversation, um, a question that I think is important for me to ask is sources. If you can do a quick note on what kind of sources did you use for your research?
1: Yes, um, very quickly. I tried to produce uh, a comprehensive examination of, um, of this subject. And, and uh, I used both published and unpublished sources, uh, Cypriot but also non-Cypriot sources, Byzantine and Latin, Um, works of uh, historiography, um, Cypriot uh, and uh, Byzantine historians. Uh, When I say Cypriot, I also include uh, non-Greek Cypriot historians, Frankish Cypriot historians or Venetian Cypriot historians. Um, We have uh, epistolography. Uh, we have a rich corpus of uh, letters exchanged between uh, Cypriot scholars and Byzantine scholars in the 14th century (coughs) Um, uh, especially for theological uh, issues uh, the Hesychas controversy Uh, uh, Venetian reports are very important, uh, published and unpublished Venetian reports because the Venetians recorded literally everything. Uh, and uh, Venetian Cyprus, it is a, a world of its own. Um, and, uh, of course, archaeological material.
0: Um, yes, I saw some amazing examples throughout, throughout your book.
1: Epigraphy, icons, uh, frescoes, even architecture. I mean, you, uh, you have examples of spatial division in churches to accommodate different rites. So all this should be taken into account.
0: Man, we need another whole like three hours to discuss that. Just the special aspect of it. <laughs> oh boy, that's fantastic. And I, I, I guess that's one of the uh, privileges, I guess, of working with uh, Cyprus, uh, that you have so many sources and from so many d- different areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yes, Cyprus, like Create is very rich in uh, all this uh, documentation.
0: Uh mm-hmm.
1: Archaeological material, yes.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I, I I really enjoy the this multiplicity and richness of the Orthodox secret identities that, that you define throughout your book. Um, um, when the Latins came, and then all the way to the sixteenth century, and, and all of that. And uh, I I guess, um, if somebody was to pick up your book, and then they had a question about how would you summarize quickly, what do we mean when we, when we, um, what does a medieval Roman Cypriot identity, um, entail? How should we see, um, the people from that era?
1: Well, uh, uh, Cypriots, medieval Cypriots had, as all medieval people, as, uh, we today, uh, had more than one identity, um, uh, they uh, they perceive themselves as people of Cyprus. They o- we also have micro-regional identities and, and micro-social identities. But generally, they perceive themselves as Romei, which is a term uh, loaded with uh, ideological, political, and religious uh, meaning, um because there is a close connection between the concept of uh, Byzantine-Roman, uh, Vasilia, imperial rule, and uh, Ecclesia, uh, church, and uh, faith. Uh, the ecumenical Patriarchate uh, was ecumenical because it was the imperial church. Uh, it was the church of, of, of the empire. So faith uh, was interwoven with um, the prestige and status and authority of uh, this ancient empire that continued in medieval times. (coughs) So uh, it was important for the Orthodox of Cyprus to uh, define themselves uh, or to identify themselves with this once mighty empire. Um, They were defeated, they were humiliated, uh, they lost their property and uh, they lost their pride, but they tried to uh, restore their pride and restore their um, uh, uh, a, a more positive view of themselves and their condition by um, referring to uh, Byzantium, to the Romania, and to themselves as uh, as a Romei. And uh, to remain the Romei, they had to respect and acknowledge the authority of the uh, Byzantine emperor, but at the same time uh, observe the customs and laws and uh, rituals of uh, the Orthodox Church, the Church of Constantinople.
0: Mm -hmm. And there is uh, another huge section uh, that I wish we had a chance to talk. I wish we had more time about the political um, affiliation that that you worked on about about how they they were, you know, politically, you know, with the with the Byzantine Empire in many in many things.
1: Yes, I mean the uh, the emperor was commemorated in in the liturgy, uh, in, in many occasions. So uh, the liturgy, the the liturgy was not uh, a liturgical worship was not simply a religious praxis. It was also a political. Uh, performance uh, in support of the Romania, um, as well as in support of the Lusinian king. But the emperor was, I mean, he was the emperor, he was the Vasilevs, Uh, he was the most important, uh, from the Byzantine perspective, uh, Christian ruler, uh, symbolically, uh, in in, uh, the whole medieval world.
0: Yes, yes. Wherever there is romance, it's Romania. I think it's uh, one of the things the scholars say in many of their books about Byzantium. Um, wow. So, yes, I have, I, you know, if, you, if you're if you listening to this podcast, pick up a copy of the book as there's just so much more that we are unable to cover. Uh, and it's all so fascinating and it makes you see, keep your identities in such a different light. Um. Okay, we're coming to a close. I promise. So, what are some of the next steps scholars should take into studying Cypriot um, identities during this medieval period? After what you've done, like, what are some things that we still need to figure out and discover more?
1: Well, I I, uh, I would like to um, uh, say a few things about uh, very quickly about um, methodology. Uh, from my experience of of, uh, employing different methodologies, um, uh, I I think that scholars, uh, I include myself, we should keep in mind that in medieval societies, especially in cases when we have oppression of some form, the image of a society reflected in the sources is only uh, part of the story. There is always another side, uh, (coughs) be it tolerance Comprehension, everyday association or intolerance, persecution, resistance, and violence. And I believe uh, it is rather simplistic to adopt monolithic models of interpretation. Ultimately, as I said before, integration coexisted with um, segregation. And another piece of advice, uh, we should be uh, self-reflexive. We should be ready to question our own views and establish perceptions, be open to new sources, but first and foremost, uh, we should be honest uh, to ourselves and uh, we should not lead our evidence to prove a position, but uh, we should be led by uh, by our sources and our evidence.
0: Very well said and very needed for sure. Uh, well, Christopher Alandi, I really appreciate it. We're taking a lot of your time. And I guess the last question that I ask all of my guests is uh, what are you up to nowadays? And do you have any interesting projects that you're currently working on or that you're about to work on?
1: Uh, yes, I, I, I am working on a couple of projects as an extension of my work on Latin ruled Cyprus. Uh, the first project is uh, the reception of the history of uh, medieval Cypriot identities by later historiography um, from the 18th to the early 20th century. Um, Another project uh, is the exploration of symbolic boundaries in Cyprus and uh, the broader Eastern Mediterranean, and how how these boundaries operate in uh, multi-religious geographical contexts. And I am also doing some research on uh, this idea of uh, the late Byzantine Mediterranean and the way Byzantine religious culture and uh, physical mobility created and um, transformed this uh, fragmented uh, Mediterranean world into a more uh, unified cultural space.
0: Well, best of luck with those. I-, I look forward to reading them. Thank you. I hope I hope they're accessible and I can find them. So I I look forward for those and. Uh, I want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed the conversation and you made me uh, like Medieval Cyprus even more.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you very
0: much. Thank you so much.